that we release people from the slavery of sin or this oppression or whatever is going on in their life that keeps them from being fully alive. Release life has been the sense that that's what we want to do. Actually, we want to help others be set free. But there's a whole different, there's a whole different component to this that we haven't focused on in a very specific way. And to go back to the G, one of the things we say, oh yes, Kate, keep that there. One of the, we have six different stated values of Exodus Church, and I, I call them our put and then practice values. In other words, we want to do these things. One of them is that we're going to define success, we want to define success not just corporately, but even individually, by our giveaway cap uh, capacity and not our accumulation capacity. So as a church, for example, we're going to define success not as the what we can accumulate in terms of attendance, building, and cash. We want to define success in our capacity to give stuff away. Same thing personally. We want to define our individual success not by our bank account, size of houses, or size of whatever, but we want to define individual success by our ability to give stuff away. Give away ability, if I can point a phrase. All right? So now we put it all together. And the G stands for, some of you might guess it, the G just stands for, go to the next slide, give. And I'm going to challenge you because I think that one word, that G word, perhaps summarizes the key to everything in the Christian life. Is our ability to give. And I'm not just talking money here. But our ability to let go, to release things, release idols in our lives, release material things, release expectations, whatever. Giving and that ability to let go is the key to everything. Go to the next slide here. Because here's different, uh, there's give in. We can, sometimes we're called to give in. Sometimes we're called to give over. Sometimes we're called to give to. Sometimes we're called to give away. Sometimes we're asked to give things up. Sometimes we're asked to forgive. We'll talk about that next week. That's a huge part of giving. That a lot of us don't want to let go of our grudges and our pains and our hurts from other people. So forgiving is perhaps the hardest thing. Those that's that's the thing for a lot of us. We definitely won't put in our we won't take out of our bag. We've got to hold on to that grudge because it gives us life in a really sick, dark kind of way. But we like it. We're going to look today at Jesus in Matthew chapter ten. I need to move this coffee away from the grape because it sounds a little bit too much like the cup of salvation or something. So, um, Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 talks about giving um, in terms of what that means for us, everyday kind of life. And what's happening in, John, in Matthew chapter 10 is Jesus is getting ready to send the 12 disciples out on kind of their first uh, mission field trip, so to speak. You know, it starts out in Matthew 10 where Jesus says this. At one point it says, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles with these instructions. And then he says, um, announce that the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, tell them, what the, tell them that life with God is not possible. Tell them that a new thing is happening with God. Feed the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. And he just, it's this challenge of, this is what we're sent to do. We're at the set, set people free. And again, that's what I've said. We, we, we're all about that. We love to set people free. So in the passage of John in Matthew 10, go to the next slide there. Right at the very beginning, Jesus tells them, give as freely as you have received. This is where he's talking about healing and, and helping people be set free, whether it's, you know, he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cure them, you know, 
Give as freely as you have received. So that's something, yeah, we can, I can sign up for that. I can give. I, I'll, I'll do what I can to minister to people. I'll give. Later in the passage, he says this, when you enter a home, give it your blessing. So it's, again, the sense of as we're, as we're out and ministering to people and just living life, I can give, I can give that. I can give my blessing to people. I, I can pull it out of my bag. Let me go again. Another from the same time Matthew 10, he's challenged to his disciples, i.e. us. Sometimes you have to give a cup of cold water to those in need. Yeah, we need to serve the poor. We need to give to the poor. We need to help those who are struggling. And at this point, I can sign up for these things. Those are all things I can take out of my bag, my giveaway bag, because I can figure out how to refill those resources. All right? This next one's hard for me. And this is the kind of giving I'm going to challenge all of us to to wrestle with. Jesus says, give up your life for me. Okay, I can give a blessing. I can give prayers for somebody's healing. And I can even give a cup of cold water to somebody who needs it or somebody help the poor. But Jesus tells the disciples that they're kind of gathered around. I don't know where they were. We don't know what the setting was. But I can imagine Jesus with 12 guys around, Christ's mother hanging around us around. He said, you need to give up your life for me. And that's a big deal. And think about it at that moment. The disciples, they didn't think Jesus was saying, go out and die. That's part of what may have been part of the larger picture. They had no, they had no idea Jesus was going to die. So you have to think, what were they thinking when Jesus said that? Give up your life for me. Now let's just kind of examine the earlier part of the passage. Go to the next slide there. The first part of the passage, Jesus says, if you cling to your life, You'll lose it. If you cling to your life, to you cling to the things that you think define who you are, you're never going to have what you want to have in life. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. You know, this, this clinging that Jesus talks about really is kind of the instinct we have for self-survival. Boy, if I don't take care of myself, who will? And none of us say that verbally, but let me guarantee, at least I do, I think about that a lot. I, I can still remember the time where I had this argument with God, because I felt like God was asking me to give of myself more to my wife in marriage, and give my emotional energy, and I remember saying to God, but God, if I keep giving to Kathy, and she is not able to give to me the same that I give to her, I can do the math, God. I was a math major. Sooner or later, I run out. I go empty. And where do I get the extra from? I mean, I, you can't expect me. I've got to hold on to something. Because who's going to take care of me, God? I mean, it was kind of a whine. I mean, you can imagine how I could whine. And maybe you've done the same thing. Who's going to take care of me? And I feel like God was saying, that's the point. That's where I let me take care of you. I'm like, well, I, don't, I guess I don't know that I trust you to do that, God. Hate to say that, but that's probably how I feel right now. So, but but some of it's clinging. And you know things in your life you cling to. Maybe you cling to your emotional energy. Maybe you cling to your agenda. Maybe you cling to your own way of how things are supposed to be done. Maybe you cling to your money. You can't give me that. I have to take care of myself and my family first. God can't really expect me. I have to take care of them first. I can't give anything away. So, clinging. The sense that he thought about here is kind of contrasted with the 
giving mentality. And again, I'm not just talking about things that are easy to give away, like extra shirts and hats and Starbucks coffee cards. Those can be replenished, and we know how to do that. I'm talking about the giving where you don't know when the replenishment is going to happen. Because Jesus says, well, if you give up your life for me, it's interesting, some versions it just says, if you lose your life. But the word there literally means if you destroy. In other words, if you put to death your own survivalist instincts, if you're willing to say no to your own selfish kind of survival. So it's not just, it, it's giving it up for it to be uh, death. And then life, you know, Jesus wasn't talking about physical life necessarily here. Because in, in, that, in that culture, what the disciples would have understood, your life represents the center of who you are. It's the center of your emotions. It's your heart. It's your soul. Sometimes the same word, the word that's used for life here in the New Testament, the same word that, that all sometimes is translated as soul. It's the place where you experience joy. It's the place where you experience sadness. It's the place where you have deep desires that you wonder what's going to happen in your life. It's the place where you have anger. It's the place where you desire revenge. Like you go to the dark places of your soul. It's the, really the core of who you are. It's who, in my case, my life is who Matthew's bomb is. It's not my body. It's not my flesh. It's not even my house, cars, or family. It's who I am at my emotional desire level. And Jesus says, will you give that up? And our first response is, well, no. Because what? That's me. And this is the kind of giving that, at least for me, is really hard. Because um, whether it's letting go of, like I said, money or letting go of a grudge. I mean, right now, think of somebody that you have a hard time with in terms of forgiving. And when Jesus says, give it up, give that up. Let go of it. Release it. Or when you think about your financial state and whether or not you actually can give what God wants you to give or where God feels like it's leaving you to give. You're like, yeah, but i got to take care of myself first. And that self-survival instinct kicks in really fast. Or on a real practical level, you're wiped out at the end of the evening and so is your wife, but somebody's got to change the diaper. And you're like, you know, it's my wife's turn. But then you, but then you hear, hear God say, you know what? Give. Give up your life right now for that or to empty the dishwasher, or to take care of this, or to do that, or go to the grocery store instead of your wife, or instead of your husband, or whoever does it in your family. Because we like our nicely defined roles. And please, God, don't ask me to go outside of my role, because I have enough to take care of right now. I can't do anything else. So God, don't ask me to give out of that, because I got enough. I'm just barely surviving. But when, God, when Jesus says to disciples, give up your life for me. I mean, it's interesting. In the rest of Matthew chapter 10, he's this big challenge. You know, go heal the sick, give blessing, give cups of cold water. Take a chance to read that this week. The rest of Matthew 10, he's talking about, oh, by the way, you're going to get persecuted. People are going to hate you. 
you're going to have uh, all kinds of hardship. And that's where he says, are you willing to give up your life for them? And uh, again, one of the things, there's a group of people that pray before the service. And there's, all, there's a sense, often, a sense of something that God may want to highlight. One of the things they said this morning, they felt like God wanted to highlight is that there are a lot of us here today, and I include myself in this, who have some degree of maturity, but yet there's a whole new realm of spiritual maturity that God wants them to go to. And we're pretty comfortable with this. But God, but this going to this newer level and this maybe stronger level, bigger level of maturity is all wrapped up in the word give. What is God asking you to, to let go of? And it's not like God just does that because he enjoys us letting go of things. It's because when we let go of something, that our hands are wide open to receive more than what he wants to give us. It's all about capacity in that sense. Let me, let me tell you, go to the next slide here. Let me tell you some of my... Uh, Give up, let me tell some give up your life stories and some of my give up your life heroes, all right? Because I think how, who, we, who, we, who we claim as our heroes will define how we understand what it means to be a strong follower of Christ, all right? Um, 1885, there's a man named C.T. Studd. It's real last, his real last name, actually. He was the best cricket player in all of England, all right? Um, you know, take whatever sport you want today and find the best player in that sport and imagine him as being this man called C.T. Studd. He had the possibility of his future of status, prestige, money, and recognition as the greatest athlete in all of England. But he felt like Jesus said to him, I want you to give that up, I want you to go to China as a missionary. And people thought he was a fool to do that. There's a man named uh, Jim Elliott, 1950s. He and some other friends of his from college had promising careers and whatever they wanted to do. They were just gifted, charismatic, talented people. And they felt like, I said, I want you to give that up, give that plan up. And uh, they went to South America, ministered to the Alka Indians, who eventually killed all these missionaries. Um, Henry Nowen. Henry Nowen was a professor, Notre Dame, Harvard, top of his game. He was actually a Catholic priest. So whatever you think about Catholics, he was willing to give up his right to marry. Mary and not, not Mary, Virgin Mary, but Mary, Mary, get married. He was willing to give that up because he felt like that's what God asked him to do, give up your right. But then, top of his game as an academic, Yale, Harvard, Notre Dame, he felt like God asked him to leave academia, move to Canada, and work in a home for severely disabled people and spend the rest of his life caring for one or two seriously disabled people. I mean, helping them go to the bathroom, giving them baths. He gave up that status because he felt like God told him to give it up. And people told him he was a fool. There's a man named Robertson McQuilkin who was president of a large Christian college, Columbia, Bible College and Seminary, years ago. Top of his game. Great executive. His wife had Alzheimer's. He was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And he decided to quit his job as the president to take care of his wife. He was like in his prime of life. And people said, well, that's foolish. You've got so many gifts to offer. He's like, you know what? But I feel like Jesus wants me to give that up to take care of my wife. Now, that makes sense. Those are kind of big, grand, big stories. But maybe there's smaller everyday stories that you and I might have. Um, I remember 
uh, with my wife and I after our third, after we had three children. I wanted, you know, more, like 10, 12, 20, whatever, I don't know. She was the point where she was like, she was ready to be done. And, uh, and I was like, oh, you know, I, I want more kids, I want to be a dad, it's kind of defined to them. Not really, but kind of. And I remember there was a point where I felt like God said, can you give up that part of your life? Can you give that up? And I was like, that's, that's a desire. God, you want me to give up that desire? I'm like, I did it. Give up that desire. Quit pressuring your wife. Quit using manipulation and guilt and all kinds of spiritual sounding arguments to convince her we should have another child. And I was like, it's a, it's a, it's, you know those kind of things in your life. It's like your flesh is being torn out. Now, of course, we have a fourth child now, so something else changed, obviously, but at that moment, it was difficult. And some of you have all those kind of issues. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe there's something God's asked you to give up. You say, yeah, but I, that's what I've always thought I was, we were going to have this or that. I thought we were always going to have kids or not have kids or whatever. Or you think about money and your financial dreams, and you're realizing, well, what if I do this and I... What I've always thought God wants to do isn't going to happen. And Jesus already said, well, can you give that up? That's my life. You know, maybe there's a hobby God wants you to give up. And again, please understand me. God is not into us living boring, mundane, unhappy lives. His objective is joy. Absolute, full, abundant joy. But when he sees us holding on to little toys... When you see us holding on to little pennies, he's, that we think is going, oh, I can't let go of this. He's like, let go of that and trust me with the rest of your life. Some of you who are in college, you may have this desire, and it's a good desire to get married. You're like, how oh, am I ever going to get married? And is there a point in which you can say to God, I'm going to give that to you? Doesn't mean you're giving, giving up. I'm giving up. I'm not going to get married. But you're giving up your control of that desire. You're no longer a slave to that desire. See, the problem is the pro our problem is not our desires. Our problem is when our desires become our slave master. <coughs> Christianity does not say kill your desire. That's really kind of an Eastern religion, Buddhism. It's kind of like kill your desire. The problem of the world is desire, so kill your desire. No, Christianity says no, give up your desire so God can give you the larger desires of your so, here's the question. What part of your life might Jesus be asking you to give up? Maybe it's, those of you who are married, you think about your marriage right now. Maybe there's part of your expectations in your marriage that aren't necessarily, it's not a moral issue, it's more of a personality between you and your spouse issue, and maybe God's asking you, can you give that up? Can you get in on that, for, for, Jesus says, for my sake? Or maybe you have this dream about your future uh, as a family, or even if you're a single person, you're about marriage or your future or what your marriage is supposed to be like, and maybe Jesus is saying, can you get that up? Maybe it is that person who's hurt you, who when their name shows up, I was talking to somebody recently who was uh, someone who had hurt them a few years ago, actually requested them as a friend on Facebook. What do you do with that? 
It's just stirred up hurt all over again. Can you let go? Can we let go? I let go of those things. I don't like letting go of grudges because justice needs to be done. Right? If somebody's hurt me, shouldn't I get even? Or shouldn't I do something? But are you willing to give that up? That's hard. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean you pretend it didn't happen. Doesn't mean all of a sudden you say, yes, be my friend on Facebook. We're all happily ever after. Doesn't mean that. It just means, can I let go of the hurt that person has done to me? And no longer let that sit in the center of my personality. Or maybe it is money. Maybe when you think about what God, oh God, why do you ask for this? Why do you ask for what's a tithe? Why do, you, why do I have to give to the poor? Why do I have to give to the church? Why do I have to give? And that's where you have to realize where God's already said, give it up, let go. Don't let that clutching, clinging spirit define who you are anymore, whether it's forgiveness, money, relationships, whatever. The next few weeks, we're going to be talking about this whole give. Big G. Next week's going to be forgiveness and letting go of that. We'll be talking some weeks about letting go of kind of financial material things. And again, it's it's all the same thing. It's all this releasing. You releasing things inside of you. Idolatries, habits that God realizes isn't really good for you anymore. Mind, you know, selfish protection, whatever it is. Um, our prayer for all of us is going to be that God will start to show us more and more things that we can give up because he has so much more he wants to give us. It's interesting, every time, almost every time in scripture where it says we're supposed to give something up, God then says, then I can reward you. And I don't know how that works. It's not like a candy machine. Like, well, I give it up and God gives me double or whatever. But we can be confident that God will give us what we need, not for survival, but for joy. And that's where the rub is, is that trust right there. Do I really trust that God has my best interest at heart? Or do I need to hold on to it myself? Finish with this passage. Galatians 2, Paul's writing about this. And again, Paul had all kinds of expectations for his own life. He was groomed to be a great spiritual leader in the Jewish faith. Um, great pedigree, great expectations. Probably would have had a really financially well-off life. But then Jesus got a hold of them and told them to give up some of those ambitions because they were selfish and they were wrong in his case. And then Paul writes this after the many years of giving things up for the sake of God. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and, here's the G word, gave himself for me. See, because God doesn't ask us to do something he hasn't already done. Give out of what you think uh, is going to be a loss for you. But then you give, and then joy comes, life comes, fulfillment comes, contentment comes in ways you never expected. So again, the question for the week, for the month, for whatever is, what is it that you think, what is it you sense that Jesus may be saying for you to give up? that you've been doing this too long. Your giveaway bag is a little bit too full. And there's too many things in there you're guarding. So, um, we always end at Exodus on Sunday morning with communion, and we do it um, because we realize that the center of everything is Jesus. And we do it because uh, Jesus is the one who gave himself for us. 
to give us then the ability, the strength, the power, and the grace to be those kind of people. I, didn't, I don't have it up there, but I had a slide that said, we want to be a big church. And I had B-I and a huge G, and then small church. Because what we want to be is we want to be, the, we want to be big people. And big people are big in giving. They're given big in generosity, big in gratitude. So our prayer in the next few weeks will be focused on how do we become those kind of big G people, full of the life of God inside of us. So let me pray, and then we'll take communion. Jesus, we're grateful that you uh, you gave, and you didn't give out of what you had left over. You didn't give out of what you knew you uh, that you knew was easy to replace. It wouldn't cost you much, but you gave uh, totally. And God, it scares us to think that you would ask that of us. But we're also kind of strangely drawn to that because we really do believe there's life there. We can be those kind of people. So as we partake in the life of Jesus through this bread and this juice, would we have confidence um, that you will pour into us life, that you're going to replenish all the things we think we can't replenish in our bags. That you, by your grace and your mercy and your spirit, pours life into us. That we then can pour abundantly like streams of living water into the world around us, into our wives, our husbands, our kids, strangers, aliens, orphans, people we don't like, we can pour life into because it comes from you. And we ask this all in Christ's name.